You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is the weekly briefing for the week ending October 21st, 2022. I'm Eric Singer. Today's podcast is sponsored by Synopsys, powering the new era of intelligent everything from silicon to software. Today's feature interview is with Charlie Matar, a senior vice president of System Solutions and Ecosystem Enablement Group. We dive into the latest trends in HPC and data centers, the industry's most significant design challenge, and what the future looks like for today's market. First, here are some of the headlines we're covering in EE Times. Ayer Labs CEO Charlie Wishpard spoke with our own Sally Ward-Foxton at Ayer's HQ in Santa Clara, California. For Ayer Labs, the company best known for optical chip-to-chip interconnects, the industry-wide adoption of chiplets couldn't have come at a better time. These silicon and packing technologies enable Ayer's silicon photonics chiplets, which convert from the electrical domain into the optical domain for chip-to-chip communication, to get around copper links bandwidth bottlenecks, reduce power and latency, and extend reach. Chiplets offer the opportunity to develop specialized functions on different process technologies, then package them together on a silicon interposer in a tightly integrated way. This means Ayer's TerraFi silicon photonics die, which uses a 45 nanometer global foundries process, can be co-packaged with a customer's large processor die, which might be on a cutting edge 7 nanometer process or below. Rather than integrating Ayer's entire TerraFi chiplet onto the processor die, in the future, Ayer may license its electrical blocks or subblocks to customers to put onto processor chiplets as an alternative to developing custom solutions, Wishpard said. A more likely scenario would be to further separate the optical and electrical parts of Ayer's design into two chiplets for certain applications. Ayer is still deciding what's next on the product roadmap, but it could include adjusting levers such as the number of wavelengths used, the bandwidth enabled by each wavelength, and the number of macros. On the laser side, Ayer has plans underway to support multiple terrified chiplets with a single laser source. This makes sense as the laser is an expensive part of the system, but there are trade-offs, Wishbard said, including having to rely on just one source without redundancy. Far future possibilities for Ayer's technology roadmap include the potential for use in quantum computers where the heat lost from copper wires can cause problems. Another possibility might be embedding quantum security capabilities into optical links. We've got photons. There are things we can do with those photons when we've got them under our control, he said. While Wishpar didn't go too far into the details, one possibility might be implementing quantum key distribution, or QKD, in short-haul optical links. With QKD, the quantum state of successive photons traversing the link acts as a quantum-proof encryption key. When we talk about the inevitable change from copper to optical chip-to-chip interconnect, the technology, while difficult, is only a piece of the puzzle. Commercializing that technology and building an ecosystem that allows it to thrive is crucial. This ecosystem is a key strategic priority for Ayer. The company must make sure its chiplets can fit into all the appropriate packaging flows while simultaneously lining up its customer base. Ayer counts the venture capital arms of key suppliers, applied materials and global foundries, and key customers, NVIDIA, Intel, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, and Lockheed Martin in its group of strategic investors. Ayer wants to make a pervasive standard for everyone to use to help accelerate the widespread adoption of optical chip-to-chip links. I don't think there's anybody close to us as an independent who could provide this, but we're trying to figure out how a small company establishes a standard that can be used by all, he said. 
A standard would mean reduced need for proprietary solutions, which Wishpart considers could be Iyer's main competitors today. Industry-wide adoption would mean more than just Iyer making the I.O. chiplets. Wishpart draws a parallel with Intel licensing x86 to AMD, noting that there may be a point in time when the company should facilitate creation of some competitors. Wishbard noted that Iyer has already created a multi-source agreement on the laser sources required to power its optical links. Laser manufacturer Sivers Photonics is already producing the Iyer Lab Supernova 8-wavelength distributed feedback laser array as part of this agreement. Iyer is also eagerly looking forward to the adoption of the Unified Chiplet Interconnect Express, or UCIE, standard, which is designed to enable a chiplet ecosystem where heterogeneous chiplets can be mixed and matched. Today, Iyer uses a proprietary electrical interface between processor and optical chiplet, but the company plans to be UCIE compatible going forward. Iyer is shipping TerraFi chiplets today and is intending to ship thousands of units in 2023, ramping to bigger volumes over the next couple of years. So how will it all turn out? What is Wishpard's endgame? An acquisition by a company like Intel or Nvidia would be an obvious potential outcome. But Wishpard said this type of exit is not an explicit part of the plan. If you're building a company to get bought, you're not going to build the right kind of company, he said. Someone could come along. I just want to make sure that we're not angling for that as a goal at the outset. Wishpard's belief is that where there are big technology transitions, like the shift from copper wires to optical fibers, new independent companies can be created. If we're even reasonably close to our goals, I think there's an opportunity to be a standalone, independent provider, he said. That would appeal to our founders in particular, because it would mean the widest possible adoption of the technology they've poured their life's blood into. Shifting to earnings news now, this report from EE Times' Alan Patterson. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co., or TSMC, is cutting its 2022 capacity expansion budget to $36 billion from the original $40 billion announced in July, as outlook for demand from smartphone and other consumer electronics makers dims. The world's leading maker of advanced chips for Apple iPhones and other smartphones says demand for its leading-edge 7-nanometer chips has slumped, impacting the utilization rate of that node. The company offered no numbers on utilization, a key metric of profitability. The slowdown reverses strong growth that started in 2020, when the COVID pandemic drove demand for expansion of data centers and mobile electronic devices as part of the work-from-home trend. Semiconductor shortages have widely impacted systems makers, including automobile and defense companies. Half of TSMC's cut in CapEx this year is a result of shortages of chip-making tools from suppliers like ASML, which ironically have been unable to buy enough chips to make their equipment. TSMC, which has led the world with its latest 5-nanometer chips, plans to produce its first 3-nanometer chips within months. Samsung, TSMC's second-ranked rival in the chip foundry business, became the first to announce this year's production of 3-nanometer chips. Demand for 3-nanometer chips will contribute low single-digit percentages to company revenue by the second half of 2023, TSMC said. TSMC's customer inventories are at a 25-year high, Mehdi Hassani, an analyst at Susquehanna, said during the earnings call. The inventory crash will sustain throughout the first half of 2023, he added. Most of the analysts on the call had questions regarding geopolitical issues between the U.S. and China that are forcing a shift in the world's semiconductor supply chains. TSMC said it is in preliminary evaluation of a potential chip foundry in Europe. Following the U.S. announcement of new restrictions last week on exports of chips and related technology to China, 
TSMC confirmed that it has permission to make 16 nanometer chips at the company facility in Nanjing, China. Despite the higher cost of chip production at its new sites in the U.S. and Japan, the company said it will maintain gross margins of 53% and higher over the long term. TSMC's gross profit in the third quarter of 2022 exceeded 60%. A flurry of activity in the satellite-to-mobile space is afoot. Here's the latest report from EE Times' Dan Jones. Apple and T-Mobile are separately rolling out direct satellite-to-mobile communications schemes with GlobalStar and SpaceX, respectively, to enable customers to connect to signals delivered from space. Amazon is also preparing for multiple launches of its Low Earth Orbit, or LEO, Project Kuiper satellite constellation. Startups such as AST Space Mobile and Lynx Global have signed satellite-to-cellphone deals with multiple mobile network operators across the world, even before the official launch of the spacecraft that will enable these services. Google, meanwhile, is working on its own software project that will speed up communications between terrestrial networks and satellites in orbit. In September, Google spun out a startup called Illyria to work on network orchestration software that connects systems on the ground with those deployed on planes and in space. The majority of these early space communications projects won't provide high-speed broadband links from the stratosphere. Rather, they'll deliver low-bandwidth connectivity suitable for emergency calls and texts in locations where no terrestrial cellular network exists, including the more than 70% of the Earth that's covered by the ocean. SOS satellite connectivity is already available on iPhone 14 models thanks to the Global Star deal. T-Mobile is planning to launch its LEO connectivity program with SpaceX in 2023. So how does direct satellite to mobile actually work? Apple's space scheme, called Emergency SOS via Satellite, uses GlobalStar's satellite network. Meanwhile, the SpaceX and T-Mobile deal will rely on second-generation LEO satellites that SpaceX will launch for its Starlink constellation. They're the most advanced phased ray antennas in the world, we think, SpaceX's Elon Musk said. The companies have only tested the scheme in the lab so far. They won't be able to test it legitimately until SpaceX begins to launch the nearly 30,000 second-gen LEO satellites that will make up its next-generation swarm in 2023. This plan, however, still needs to be approved by the FCC. T-Mobile CEO Mike Sievert is confident it will get off the ground. He said that the Starlink satellites will connect to most T-Mobile phones through a slice of mid-band PCS spectrum. We will enter beta, we believe, as soon as late next year, he said. On our most popular plans, we're just going to include this for free, Sievert said of T-Mobile's vision, a plan that will deal a major blow to the expensive specialist satellite phones market. Find all of these stories and more on eetimes.com. If you're on this episode's webpage, there are direct links to these articles. Subscribe to EE Times On Air and the weekly briefing podcasts by clicking the subscribe button at the top of today's episode page or searching weekly briefing on all major podcast platforms. High-performance computing, or HPC, and data centers are at the forefront of our everyday lives. Massive amounts of data travel through data centers to perform billions of functions that we use to make decisions about our health, jobs, and relationships, among other things. Our dependency on HPC and data centers have put SOC and system designers on notice. Fast time to market, early design exploration, hardware and software co-optimization, 
performance and area optimization are just a few of the challenges designers have to consider and ultimately overcome. Having access to an end-to-end -end solution that includes design, verification, and virtual prototyping tools, IP, and design services from a single provider can make life a lot easier and give you the push you need to get ahead of the competition. Here to discuss the latest trends, design challenges, and market growth surrounding HPC and data center SOCs is Charlie Matar. Charlie is a senior vice president of Systems Solutions Group. Prior to his time at Synopsys, he led global engineering teams at Intel, AMD, and Qualcomm, both as a general manager and a vice president of product development. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Charlie, one of the, the things that I think really makes you stand out personally uh, among the executives in this field is your background as an engineer. Um, as I just mentioned, you've spent time at Intel, AMD, and Qualcomm. You kind of made all the rounds of the, of the heavy hitters there. I'd love to know a little bit more about what you studied and just how you got to where you are today. I've been blessed to be able to work for great companies. Um, and, you know, my career has really uh, spanned or has been based on, you know, to be a very good engineer that, uh, you know, eventually want to be owning or running big engineering teams and delivering products to the market. It's really critical for a person to be vertical and really understand design in many different areas. So I've been kind of blessed throughout my career where I was able to uh, cover or work on things from process technology, IP design, SOC design, um, you know, uh, delivering products into the market. Uh, so throughout that whole journey, you know, you kind of get to learn the ins and outs of uh, delivering products into the marketplace. But more importantly, it kind of grows you as an engineer, uh, eventually as an executive, where, you know, you can talk the talk and walk the walk when necessary really to be able to to manage and address some of the key technology trends we're seeing today. Your background, as, as we, we just brushed uh, lightly against there, seems just perfectly aligned with your current role with Synopsys. It, was your position there created for you or was that a, a position that was existing that they, they brought you in to fill? Well, I think it's uh, it's both. I think the one thing as a company at Synopsys, you know, we're focusing more and more on not just providing point tools like EDA tools or IP. Really, our investment uh, in the last few years, we've been really more investing into, you know, uh, working with customers and just understanding customer needs from a system perspective, from an overall solution perspective. And for, for that kind of uh, capability or role, you have to be on the other side where you've done uh, many chips and many products to really understand, you know, what areas as a company we want to invest in and what customers are really looking for and what are some of the challenges they face. So the fact that I've been on uh, delivering SOCs and products before and coming to Synopsys and really being able to provide that knowledge base from my experience in the industry is kind of what uh, the strategy has been. And it's been a really an amazing and exciting the last three and a half years, because in a nutshell, uh, you know, you basically can provide input uh, of what customers need and really kind of drives synopsis where we want to continue with investment, uh, with trends and uh, specific things that need to, we need to work on. 
Yeah, and I know your background also includes building and managing business units, and and you just mentioned being responsive and, and on top of the latest trends. I'd love to hear more about what you see as some of those recent trends in HPC and data center, uh, the SOC market segment. Yeah, when we talk about HPC and data center, it's uh, HPC as a market segment and mo- is more than just data center. There's data center. Uh, hyperscalers, there's the edge compute that's really growing nowadays. There's an infrastructure and many other micro market segments or micro market segments. So again, HPC is kind of entailed that whole big picture, but definitely data center is, has been in the forefront lately to really drive some of the technologies and uh, some of the challenges we're seeing in, in today. So if you look at HPC and data center, there's continued to be an insatiable appetite for pushing the envelope in compute and IO and memory and, and, and storage. And, you know, it's driving really the industry to, to innovate in many different ways. Engineering teams are tackling many, many, many challenges. Uh, and, you know, if you look at it from a, from an overall perspective, you know, people that are running data centers, as an example, there's an added complexity about managing total cost of ownership, reliability. Again, all that, all these different trends are really pushing challenges on engineering teams to continue to accelerate technology and innovation to be able to address HPC market in general. And it's also really trying, uh, you know, pushing the envelope on a lot of innovation. Things are moving very fast. Uh, new technologies are needed to continue to scale performance, power, area, cost. And really, I see HPC as really driving a lot of the forefront technologies to really be able to address the, the growing need for data compute, um, which is really a big part of our lives where data is everywhere, and also being able to continue to address the scalability and the return on investment when it comes to HPC products, when it comes to data center and other market segments. Uh, so that's really uh, some of the key trends that we are seeing. And again, uh, I want to reiterate, this is really pushing the envelope on many fronts when it comes to engineering teams and overall innovation. Right. When we think about the, the scale of these data centers, we're talking about extreme levels of processing power. We're talking about extreme levels of power consumption. You mentioned efficiency a second ago. As data centers get bigger and bigger and as energy costs rise, are you seeing a responsiveness in the, the data center space um, to those rising energy costs? And are you thinking about those in, in your role as well? Absolutely. I think to really come out with an effective solution, you have to really start from the top to bottom and kind of understand the big picture. And the big picture is like you mentioned, it really starts from if you are building a data center or you're building a base station or you're, doing, you're building any high performance compute product, you know, what are the requirements? And requirements can vary. Like I said, based on the market segment, based on some of the micro segments that you're going after. So really understanding uh, from the view of a customer that's building the data center, as an example, I know things like cost of electricity, uh, total cost of ownership, reliability, uh, power, performance per milliwatt, all these kind of KPIs are really critical to really understand from that level. And that usually, you know, kind of uh, um, uh, goes down into some of the key requirements uh, that you have to really put in place when it comes to building the products. So really looking at it from a holistic 
system level approach all the way from the top of the stack till uh, delivering the final SOC or the final silicon product are really key in today's, uh, in today's designs and market requirements. Uh, without that, it's very hard for you to deliver a silicon or products that are really uh, meeting customer requirements. And those requirements, like I said, could vary from one customer to another. But really, this is the key for success, understanding the holistic, uh, looking at a holistic approach, understanding the whole uh, top to level, top to bottom stack of what's going on is really critical for the success of any product you try and deliver into the market. When I talk to people who aren't in the industry, they often have a hard time understanding how this kind of thing affects them. And, and of course, Synopsys technology is really at, at the heart of innovations that touch normal people's lives every day. We're talking about self-driving cars, machines that learn, lightning fast communication across billions of devices across the data sphere. These breakthroughs are ushering in what a lot of folks call the era of smart everything. What else is Synopsys doing to address those kinds of trends and the challenges that come along with them for your customers? I think uh, the one thing you have to look at it is when you try and deliver or support your customers and provide them with solution to really get their products on the market, you have to really look at a lot of the building blocks. You have to look at what it takes to really build successful products or silicon uh, to meet the requirements. So for us as a company, we are, we are not just an EDA company. We're EDA company. We're an IP company. We have an end-to-end solution for our customers. What that really means is we have capabilities all the way starting from software hardware co-optimization, architecture modeling, uh, writing RTL and verification, all the way to delivering, uh, you know, GDS2 or even silicon. So uh, the, the biggest value we bring to the ecosystem is the fact that Synopsys has capabilities for all the different pieces you need to build the product. And again, uh, it's not only about providing the, uh, the solutions or the point tools that you need to really uh, deliver your product. We, we are really innovating in many new areas beyond you know, our traditional markets. We're looking at things like AI, how we have uh, AI more pervasive and how we do silicon design. We're looking at things like silicon life management. Uh, we're looking at things like packaging. So our approach and our strategy is to provide our customers all different kinds of solutions they need to build their products. And more importantly, we're also trying to provide support for them to make them successful. Uh, customers that are new into silicon development or even customers that have been doing silicon before, our role and our mission is really to continue to support our customers, help them design their products, and again, we also have design services that really we can put with the customers on their side to really help them with the building their product and really addressing some of the shortage of uh, engineers in the market nowadays. So that whole um, approach of looking at it from an end-to-end solution, looking at it from providing our customers anything they need uh, to really build their products is really critical. The other key one I also want to uh, highlight here or, or stress is the fact you also have to really understand, uh, you know, the customer language. This is kind of related to your earlier question about my background and why am I at Synopsys. I think the other key things that as a company we're doing is we're trying to really spend more time really understanding our customer needs uh, from everything from, like I said, from architecture to packaging to chiplet design. A lot of these things are really critical. So understanding the customer needs, 
speaking the same language, looking at this problem as a holistic problem and coming out with an end-to-end solution is really what we have been investing in. We're striving to really provide to our customers. So as a customer working with Synopsys, you know, our commitment to our customers is to make sure we provide them with what they need to make, to make them successful uh, in silicon development. Yeah. So with your business unit, the, the system solutions group, are your customers concentrated in the U.S. or Europe? Or are they scattered across the globe? We pretty much support customers across the globe. We have design teams everywhere and we support our customers anywhere in the world. What are some of the biggest design challenges that you're seeing from those global customers? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the HPC market in general, I think, uh, absolutely, I think uh, cost of being able to develop these projects uh, or SOCs is really getting to the point where the entry cost is really so high that only very few people can really get into this business and uh, deliver their products. The other one is also an execution. There's a lot of shortages of engineers out there to be able to really uh, supplement the teams or build the teams needed to really design these complex designs. Um, and also, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of new architectures that are going into the market. Uh, we talk about accelerators. We talk about AI engines like RNN or CNN. So there's a lot of new architecture that are coming into the market that are more focused on accelerating certain workloads and the reason why acceleration is important for certain workloads is you're basically driving a better performance per milliwatt, you're driving a better cost, better power. So with that, uh, with that, you, know, you have to really look at hardware and software co-optimization is very critical. New software stacks, new architectures are prevalent in today's HPC market driven by unique workloads that uh, are coming up in our industry. Then there's also a lot of uh, things around make versus buy. You know, a lot of IP you have on your HPC products is a lot of customers traditionally used to uh, uh, make, but nowadays the complexity of some of these high-speed certies or high-speed IO, a lot of the customers are really dealing with how much of it do I buy or how much of it do I make it internally. So that's another trend that continue, we continue to see and we continue to see the complexity in that area around IP to accelerate. And there's also really some of the big challenges around risk versus schedule. Right, you know, building a team to do uh, to develop an HPC product requires quite a bit of uh, uh, size team. But more importantly, you also have to have the the experience, and then you also have to make the right decisions about which IP you want to select. Do you buy it? Do you develop it internally? Uh, you have to really uh, think about your packaging. Many, many new areas of complexities that you really again HPC designs are really pushing the envelope on that. And then uh, last but not least, you know, um, uh, we talked about. Uh, innovation, right? And um, there's many fr- uh, front innovations happening in HPC, uh, not just around compute, uh, I.O. and memory, but there's also innovation around packaging. There's also innovation around system life management or more like yield. How do you make sure, you know, in advanced technologies and the size of the chips we're developing in these new technologies, how do you make sure not only do they meet the performance, power, and area, but also how do you make sure they're reliable? How do you make sure that you know, in a, in a data center, as an example, you don't have any downtime. Uh, so things like RAS uptime are very critical consideration when, you, when, you, when you're designing uh, these products. There's also challenges around standards. How do you make sure that there are common standards for uh, things like chiplets or, uh, you know, things that you connect die to die and making sure that you, people use standards instead of everyone 
you know, developing unique uh, interfaces. So many of the points that you just made really, to me, strongly underscore the desirability of a really end-to-end solution like you all offer um, between things like engineer shortages to standardization and everything in between. All of that feels like things that would benefit from, uh, as you describe it, a a more holistic view and a more uh, end-to-end solution. Where do you see the HPC market going? What does the future look like there? I think the, uh, you know, we're moving from, you know, data center to edge compute right now. Uh, you also have a lot of the infrastructure that driving some of the HPC, um, you know, uh, uh, needs and products. So I, I, I see this continues to be on the front front of complexity, innovation, and really being able to innovate things that really addresses the, the roadmap of products we need. Uh, case in point, things like, you know, silicon photonics is something that's going to have to happen in the future to really address some of our high-speed IOs. Uh, there's many, many, um, you know, investment happening in the industry right now around new architectures and making sure that, you know, you get your best performance per milliwatt and you get your best power with accelerators. Uh, and there's there's a lot of uh, need for IP, right? Uh, IP, uh, which is one of the, one of the key markets that we address, is you know how do you make sure you have the right IP to be able to to build your products around PCIe, around you know things like uh, CXL, um, you know things like DDR, um, and even you know die to die connections. So so I've, I see the market continue to really push the envelope um, in, on every front. And also continue to see, you know, HPC market in general growing at a very fast clip compared to other markets. Uh, because again, if you look at our today's life and the amount of data that's moving around and the amount of compute we need will continue to, uh, you know, increase and accelerate at a very fast pace. Uh, the other one also want to, um, you know, there's a reason why we feel like HPC customers are on the forefront. Um, and I think uh, if I look at, you know, at this market in the, in the future, I just don't see any slowdown around innovation, around investment, around cost, um, around being able to really build products with, uh, on new software stacks, uh, building products with new architectures and, uh, you know, enabling key technologies like packaging. Packaging is such a key component of any HPC product nowadays. How do you make sure that your two and a half D or three D packaging uh, capabilities inside your company are well suited to to build these complicated design around chiplets, around 3D stacking. So many, many, many new innovation has to continue to happen. And the last but not least, I also want to um, um, talk about is AI. We talk about AI, but now we're we have invested in the last few years around using AI to design SOCs, or you can say AI designing AI chips. So in this case, what we really feel is artificial intelligence, um, you know, is really key for us to continue to be on, uh, you know, like I said, on the innovation curve or pushing the envelope. So what we're seeing right now, and one of the biggest investments we have done is how to leverage AI in building SOCs and building IP and help, help uh, our customers to be able to get met more productivity from their team, uh, faster time to market and also push the PPA and cost of their products. So with AI, 
we feel is going to be a disruptive technology where AI will really be driving a lot of these three key axes that I just mentioned. And it will be pervasive in many things we do. Uh, again, this is all driven by the complexity we're dealing with. It's all driven by the fast speed of transitioning from one product to another, from one technology node to another. All that will continue to, like I said many times, will drive innovation and will drive a new way of thinking how we build SOCs. And again, I think AI is probably one of the things that are in the forefront of addressing these challenges. Yeah, better, faster, cheaper. We have our marching orders as an industry and uh, those those orders are, are not going to get any uh, less demanding. We're, we're just going to continue to, to face uh, greater and, and greater challenges as we respond to what the, the market is demanding. So one of, uh, we talked about AI. So one of the key products that we have released in March of 2020 is the SO.AI. And uh, this, uh, this technology platform is really around the AI um, technology we just discussed a little bit earlier. And with DSO.AI, what uh, we're doing nowadays, and it's, it's in production, is we're able to use AI or a reinforcer learning algorithms to be able to uh, develop chips and uh, replace some of the capabilities that usually were done manual by engineers with AI engines. And the end the result has been outstanding, and it's, it's actually been um, beyond expectation where we really have seen when AI is really involved in implementation flows in, in looking at a huge design space and coming up with the key parameters to optimize your design, we have seen really, really significant improvement on power performance and area in many engagements we have with our customers. And this DSO.AI technology is really disruptive and we're looking forward to see this more adopted you know, in the future uh, with our customers. Again, all that is really driven by how we continue to uh, innovate in areas to continue to improve and address some of the complexities and challenges we see in the HPC market. When I think about how important time to market has become these days, that seems like a tool that we really can't afford to, to design things without, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, when we were already faced with an, a shortage of engineers in the industry and we've got pressures to deliver new products so much more quickly than we have before, I can see how uh, having a, an AI involved in that early design phase would, would really get you to the finish line a lot faster, yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, if you look at DSO.AI, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, there are three key value-add that customers can get out of it. One is time to market, uh, productivity, which is being able to do uh, designs with less people, uh, and then also pushing the performance power and area and overall cost of a product, which is another key, key uh, axis that's really important to mention because right now extracting the value from new technology nodes and looking at the cost of these new technology nodes, being able to extract the maximum value is really critical to justify the cost of moving from one node to another. So these are the kind of things that I, th I think AI really brings a lot of value to our customer uh, on many fronts. And again, we are seeing very strong adoption with DSO.AI across multiple markets I've been, including HPC. I can imagine. So what other products uh, have you all come out with recently that you're excited about? 
I think reliability, uh, and you can also define it in a data center like uptime or downtime, mm-hmm. is another area we're going to see continue to be a critical uh, pillar in HPC designs. Uh, so reliability comes, you know, uh, really around, you know, being able to operate, uh, you know, your uh, your product in a data center or your silicon in, da- in a data center with very minimal downtime. Uh, and, you know, you have to address things like yield. You have to things, uh, address things like serviceability. Uh, you know, you, you have to look at reliability. There's a lot of areas around reliability in general that you have to be really concerned about and more importantly designed for. So with that, we have different solutions as, as a company around SLM, which is uh, Silicon Life Management, where, you know, we're able to monitor the health of silicon in the field uh, during, uh, you know, moving, going into production to really be able to provide the li- reliability um, around our, pro- our products. And the other one uh, we're also investing uh, very heavily is around uh, software um, you know, integrity and uh, reliability. And last but not least, we also have a lot of IP that we provide our customers around security uh, from encryption and in other areas. So I see um, reliability, uh, security as another key pillar that uh, anybody designing products in the HPC uh, market segment, um, you know, is really important for them. And this is where we see, we have been investing a lot and this is where we continue to see uh, long-term investment in that space. Makes a lot of sense. Those are critical components for uh, for anybody in the industry. As we talk about how you got to where you are today and all of the projects you're working on right now, I get the sense that you're somebody who really loves what he does and that you're excited about what's happening in the industry. Uh I mean, if I put my engineering hat, yes, I just feel like it's, <laughs> yeah, I just feel it's really exciting times. I think, uh, you know, even though, uh, you know, our industry has been booming in many different market segments, but I really feel it's, it's a great time to be an engineer. And the reason why I say that is we're moving into many new verticals that we didn't do before. Things like HPC, automotive, aerospace and defense. A lot of these new, uh, you know, beyond mobile or IoT with all, a lot of those new verticals, there's a lot of new innovation, not a lo- new solutions have to be put in place. Uh, it also, uh, it's an environment right now where uh, even though we're dealing with a lot of complexity and a lot of cost, uh, you know, uh, pressures, but, you know, as an engineer, it's really a uh, great time to innovate because markets are changing, requirements are changing. Um, and with that, really, as an engineer, you get to reinvent things, come up with new ideas, and uh, to be able to really deliver on the on the requirements our customers want. So it's really exciting times that I see. And, uh, you know, being an engineer nowadays, I look at it as someone who's in a candy shop. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to figure out what we get out of it to do uh, to really deal with some of these interesting uh, complexities and challenges we're facing. I couldn't agree more. I don't know that there's ever been a more exciting time in history to be in this field. Charlie, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. Your insights, experience, and perspective on all this stuff is uh, absolutely invaluable. So thank you again. No, I, I, I want to thank. So it's been a pleasure uh, to be on this podcast and um, looking forward to future podcasts. Thank you very much. That brings another episode of The Weekly Briefing to its end. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guest, Charlie Matar from Synopsis. 
The Weekly Briefing is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the full stories we've mentioned, along with other resources. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Lady Maya Kane. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.